0: What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell, and this episode we're going to be interviewing Sean Paper. Now, Sean just finished editing The Broken Hearts Gallery, which is a romantic comedy that just came out. We're going to talk about comedies his history, his work on some great comedies that I love, and of course, his work on Broken Heart's Gallery. So here's my interview with Sean Paper. Can you tell me, I guess, how did you get involved with this this film initially? This is a film that my agent
1: uh, had loved for a while, and she knew my penchant for wanting to do projects where I got to learn something from. I did Mozart in the Jungle because I wanted to learn about classical music. I worked on crashing the HBO series because Judd Apatow said, we're gonna go deep into what New York City comedy is gonna really be like. So the original um, impetus was that um, I got to learn a little bit about the New York City art world. My agent really loves smart comedy and there's a lot of smart dialogue in here. Natalie Krinsky's Mm -hmm. a really gifted comedy writer and um so i read the script and was um was really excited about it because it it wasn't just a rom-com and and the main relationship isn't just a girl guy relationship that's you know there's a um, a lot of independent women in this story and i thought that this was a really timely story without beating our heads over with a feminist idealism, there is a, a feminist core to this and, uh, and Lucy's journey from art gallery assistant to, you know, emotionally hoarding to releasing that emotionally hoarding aspect of her, um, you know, um, her neuroses into something that's good and positive in the world was something that I was, that I related to. Um, and I thought that was a, a really
0: important story to tell now. So I was all on board. (laughs) On a a one side note, which I know it might be a side tangent, but I loved Crashing. I was so upset when it got canceled. Oh, great. great
1: uh, Yeah, I was upset too.
0: Yeah. Have you spoken with Pete Holmes? No, no, I haven't. But I've heard him talk about, like I've listened to his podcast for a while. Oh, yes. Well, he's got a great podcast. And my wife loves comedy. So she got me into all that, the New York scene and the LA scene.
1: Oh, fantastic. So you were into, well, uh, we could talk about Crashing too, because that was such a pleasure to cut uh, you know, it, a different style of of editing than you do here but pete was so smart and and so willing to put himself in compromising positions that um you know any other creator actor other than lena dunham who i worked with also was mm-hmm. w- would be um you know would have reservations about doing but it was really honest and um uh and it was the labor of love for all of us. So I, I really, um, I'm glad that you dug cla- uh, Crashing because that was um, um, an important show. And that last, uh, oh, let, me, uh, let me give you a little inside story about oh, the sure. last episode. The last episode, the what well, the final episode, he, he finally gets into um, the cellar and does a set. Mm-hmm. Our original cut of it was he doesn't do a comedy routine. He does more of a Lenny Bruce... Uh, essay on the nature of, 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 of divinity and God, which is something that his mm-hmm. character was wrestling with and blew us all away. We thought this is this, wow. If this is the last we ever see of him, he's, he's, his character has grown and has come up with these observations. I think if, you know, if you remember, he was come across Penn Jillette in mm-hmm. in an episode and who blew his mind about atheism and, and it, Sent him on a downward spiral of self uh, <laughs> reflection. He did yeah. so. He did. He did a, a, a joke pass, and he did a pass where he was reflecting on the nature of God in his life, and it made all of us weep and cry, and 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 we thought this was this was a really powerful ending. And then um, we we all sat around, and uh, Jed Apatow and 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 the other executive producers said. Yeah, but it feels like the series is over if we do that let's let's not do this i'm like wait a minute but even if it even if it is or what if it is or what if it isn't this is so important and we finally came to the decision that let's have them do a joke ending rather than this and and so when we found out the show got cancelled pete came up to me he's like ah, we should have used that other version right so there is there is a version somewhere that exists yeah. that shows this um this evolution of his character that um we could have gone back and and reinserted if monday morning quarterbacking could have been you know placed on you know on hbo at the last minute
0: yeah but i'm glad you dug it yeah that was a really really fun show well and the thing i've i've always found fascinating with comedians is they all have such unique rhythms to their deliveries and that plays so heavily into what makes it funny so how in a show like that, you know, like one episode is called Mulaney and has Mulaney come in and Paul, uh, Pete's trying to figure out his whole rhythm. You know, at first it's terrible and he's got to, you know, understand that he's got to become who he is. So like, how did you work with so many varying rhythms in delivery?
1: That, that was um, a wonderful challenge because all the creators were really gifted people. Uh, comedians who were resolute on making sure that there was the, the verity of, of audience reaction and the timing of jokes and the uh, and the trickle of laughter, the amount of laughter was uh, proportional to what a, a real honest performance would be like so we spent a lot of time saying okay well that joke was a three and then <laughs> we've got to trickle that so the reaction's got to be an eight and then this is this is the you know the the big payoff so that's a 10 but then we got to come back so we we played a lot with the rhythm and made sure that at each performance the, their their ear was was highly attuned to you know within frames of what what is what would be off and what is wouldn't be so that was um a really good. Um, it was a really good exercise for me. But in in terms of the the rhythm of them telling a joke, this is something that, you know, as an editor, you have to say, okay, well, I, I've got to take your your twenty minute set and put it in forty seconds and have it still do what you want me to do. You know, make it seem real. Um, and uh, I think that having, you know, worked on Parks and Rec and and Veep and other comedies where that was so the timing was so important Mm -hmm. i've sort of learned that rhythm and and what we do in the shadows and flight of the concords they each had particular rhythms that you had to you had to know like the rhythm of flight of the concords what we do in the shadows was all about
0: the awkward pauses (laughs) (laughs) which i loved uh, in flight of the concords for sure
1: yeah, it was so it was so um, so particular to to that style of comedy that the, living in the awkwardness of the joke is 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 delicious mm-hmm. um, but in a comedy like veep it's in, in that amount of time we would have had to tell eight more jokes in the foreground middle and in the background there'd be another joke going on that we'd have to track um, and uh, and I think that you know that kind of training really helps my contribution to telling emotional stories too Mm -hmm. because the comedy is also about touching an emotional core it's funnier when it's not just a psych gag but it it's there's a there's a truism to it that kind of you know that hits you with a gut punch in 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 its reality and then makes you laugh at the same time that that all kind of came together hopefully um in this movie
0: well yeah i was gonna say i want to get back to broken hearts gallery But um, I do want to say one thing is I loved how you let, like when Pete was struggling in the Boston Club, I think it was called, and how he would like the there'd be like four people in the crowd and it would just sit, and we would just like, and you you could feel the audience presence in a sense, the way that you always hear comedians talk about, where it's like you can read the room, and sense. that it's Not getting it.
1: Yes. Yes yeah so that, that that was that was a, a very important aspect and Pete was he and and jed taught me a lot about how how that awkwardness
0: you know sits with you in an uncomfortable way so speaking of timing and and rhythms how did you bring that experience from crashing into broken hearts gallery what what did you learn from that that you utilized
1: i had conversations with natalie krinsky the writer director early on about what I had done. And I, I told her that, um, uh, some, uh, thing that I learned from Judd Apatow, which was that after you get a scene, um, within two or three takes, give the actors a, a play pass, give them a, a pass where they just improv throughout. And, um, so I think she used that and helped and in the rehearsal process and in our, uh, or in her shooting the scenes, she took that and ran with it and gave actors who were really good comedians, Ego, uh, Nwadim, you know, Utkarsh Geraldine was great. I mean, a, lo- a lot of the supporting actors, Arturo Castro um, and Bernadette Peters, of course, were that she said, okay, now, now have, uh, do, do a fun pass with this. And, um, I think that uh, oftentimes the the circuitous journey that the that the characters take in some of those passes has a lot of raw humor that that you know is that I, if I chisel it out would be a you know a, a really good gold nugget. So I was able to take from that crashing improvisational style and insert some really funny jokes. I think that uh, that each of these very distinctive actors brought to the table.
0: and it's such a, like looking at the cast and the crew, like the cast is really young and this is Natalie's first feature. So what was it like, I guess, discover your working relationship because she hasn't worked with editors in this capacity. She's usually been a showrunner or a, a writer. Well, she's, she's incredibly gifted, super smart and, and,
1: and funny. And I, I don't think anyone felt like this was her first barbecue nonetheless they brought me up to toronto for the five weeks while they were shooting and i was a streetcar ride away from where they were shooting oftentimes I would be a day behind what they're shooting and either on my lunch break or at the end of the day i would take a uh, iphone video of the scene that i had been cutting and bring it over to set and we would sit and mm-hmm. while they were going in, in between takes i'd we'd sit in a stairwell and and giggle over you know over these overly long but incredibly you know loose um, versions of what the scene would be but showing the the fun improvs and and encouraging her to let them do that Mm -hmm. by saying look look this is these are really good actors that are that are really nailing it like the first time that lucy meets arturo castro's character marcos Mm -hmm. This was his first day on the job, and he was just so funny. There were jokes that were written, but he was he was doing his joke patch from the beginning. And um, I thought that was so good. So I, I showed her this scene and said, this is he's great. I really liked how he reflected what Nick's character was like in a buddy kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. So I think it allowed um the Baker's character, to be more sympathetic and at the same time be made fun of. And, and it was just a, a really good, you know, comedy trio, but, but to see Geraldine, Dacre and and Arturo, she wrote Arturo into like four more scenes.
0: Well, I was going to say, cause he makes Nick is the character's name, but he makes him more human in a sense, right? Like he rounds it, it's his being there rounds out Nick's character. Cause it's like Nick's so serious and doesn't want to, believe in himself essentially or doesn't want to believe that things will happen positively and here's this guy who's his positive friend which is sort of a nod thing but it helps right. round him out it was this uh,
1: uh incredible find and um and ha- it, it, he was he he was probably in about three scenes in the script but in in being able to go over and real time explore or you know, just talk with uh, natalie in between setups about about the scenes i would cut things like giving arturo you know half a dozen more scenes to to be in made a big difference because we were able to see how how that was working so so i so i would go i would take the streetcar um down a, at the end of day and show her scenes and in in doing that i think we've developed a rapport and our trust in each other and um Uh, And it made it so that when she came in to see the first assembly, she had already seen a lot of the scenes Mm -hmm. um, together. So there wasn't that first panic response that directors can have when they see their
0: their project for the first time.
1: You know, I think you've you've heard the saying, there's nothing worse than the first cut
0: yeah they're usually it's a very depressing day for a director
1: <laughs> yes which makes the editor feel horrible because it's not it's not our fault it and but usually isn't our fault but <laughs> it's the first time that the director is making the transition from um cr- being able to create out of whole cloth cloth what what they intended to sitting down and remembering The struggle they had with a scene, or with an actor on a bad day, or you you know, Mm -hmm. art department didn't get the props didn't wasn't able to turn on the neon lights on time, so they wasted four hours. So, so the director usually brings that into their their into the room the first time they see uh, uh, a cut, and and I guess it's it's not it's not a reflection on the editor. But it's the director's first time of or seeing their set, their stand-up set on video. It's like it's like if I if I listen to this podcast, I'm going to hate the way my voice sounds, and it just happens to be that way until you get used to it.
0: Yeah. Now whereabouts so, in Toronto? Which which post house were you at? I was a Technicolor. Technicolor. Okay. Yeah. I know. Oh, okay. That's actually close to where I live. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. Great neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know it was great. It's um, a lot of friends work out of there.
1: Although that 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 I realize I remember they said that um, the building across the street had been under construction for about ten years. Yeah. And it's still under construction. Yeah. For some reason, so I was editing with my headphones on a lot because there you know there was a wrecking ball across the street. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it um, uh, they, they, I made a lot of friends in the building.
0: Yeah, I know it's a great great place. When you first I guess, get the script, what are some of the things that you look for to bring up with the director? Because, you know, a lot of the editors I talk to, um, they want to get in and start talking about story. So what, when you got this script, what were some of the things that you were looking for story-wise?
1: At first, I, I tell her, you know, you've, I looked at the, the things that I responded to um, and what emotionally struck me Lucy's relationship with um, the women in her life was really impactful to me, as I said. You see where her neuroses comes from. Mm-hmm. And when you learn about the, the the heartache that brought her to present circumstances, I, I, well, I really, really felt for her. And I had people in my life who were in a similar situation without giving anything away that it made it really hit home Um, and seeing her work with her um, neuroses and turn it into something positive. Like I said, this was what, this was the first thing that made me really excited about this, along with the, the dialogue. I, I started off by telling her how how timely it was and how I thought that this was the first uh, Gen Z movie that I'd <laughs> that work on. <laughs> I think we've gone from millennials to, to Gen Z stories. And I was really excited to work on a, a Gen Z story and find find the musical voice of it so i was really excited about exploring what kind of music would be fitting for this what songs would be on lucy's playlist and we used them uh we narrowed down to some that we loved and they, they ended up being in the movie there was one piece of picture that or the script that um, i thought needed some some flushing out or that I missed was seeing the rivals square off, having to see the love interest square off with each other and have Lucy take her measure of, of uh, the, the men in her life. So uh, I suggested that, it, that there might be a, a really cool confrontation. And, uh, and Natalie came back with these amazing scenes that I thought were really effective in, taking us through her journey so that we so this so the audience could figure out you know um you know who we, she's supposed to be with and why
0: is that the cake scene uh, where he brings back the cake yes the yeah. cake scene yes Which is great it's that nice yeah. sort of tension i guess in that moment between the two guys yeah i think i think the cake scene was
1: um that's what she came up with and i think yeah it's it, I, and i loved cutting that scene I love playing with tension and the times that we do show the tension and mystery in, um, um, in, in moments like this, uh, are, is, is just so much fun to cut because I, you know, that talk about, you know, comic timing will do the same thing with tension
0: and discomfort. You know, what would you say was the the most challenging scene for you in this film? And I don't mean like, Oh, you struggled with it because it wasn't good. I mean, the one that, you know, made you, I guess, proudest or happiest at the end? Cause you were like, I nailed the scene, but it was tough to get there. Hmm. Well, um, let's see the challenging. Uh, uh, I think it's the beginning, the middle and the end.
1: <laughs> Those three things were the hardest things to cut. But the scene that I really enjoy watching now is the uh, the karaoke scene. I, I really love that this um, Lucy's friend Amanda is having a birthday party at a karaoke, and it's her. The theme is uh, murder karaoke, so everybody you know shows up um, in various stages of being murdered or something. It's the first time that you see. Everyone rooting for for the couple, and it's also um it's a good karaoke scene because you've got Philippa Sue from Hamilton kicking us off with a real with a karaoke song. So somebody who could really sing starts us off singing. The scene was more than just about karaoke. It was bringing everybody together. We see the success of Lucy's uh, accomplishment. We see that Nick um, really is supportive of her yet mired in his own problems. So I think there's just a, a heavy plot point within this scene, but it was also so much fun because
0: you saw the people really enjoying their connection. I loved the costumes <laughs> that everyone showed uh, up yes. in. I thought that was a lot of fun. Because at first I was like, what is going on? I mean, like It took me a second to click in that they were at karaoke, but it was murder karaoke. Right, <laughs> and- right, yeah. You know, it was like, why is she dressed as a nurse? Like, I was like, is this Halloween? And then I was like, oh, okay. Hi. dead nurse, the vampire victim, the, yeah. um, um, the run over the by a car. Was up with
1: a- yes. Yeah. Um, and um, stabbed. And and you know, it was so I, I thought there were layers of jokes in there, but it was also the, the, the energy of the scene and um, the musical choices. Uh, and bringing everybody together was um, was really exciting. And there was a lot of energy there. So it was like the beginning of ramp of act two, just kind of whoosh, taking off with that. And uh, so that was a lot of fun to cut. Um, and then I think the, um, I really like the, how I got to play with the timing of bringing everything together at the end. Um, because there's you know there are different different storylines that all are, are culminate at at, at the end and, and I liked trying to keep the pace of of building towards the ending and creating the tension and and the fulfillment uh, that we're building up in in this and trying to do that in a way where it didn't feel like oh oh here, here, here the ending's coming. Felt like I wanted to make it sure that it felt like we we really were um, building towards that place without giving away that this is where we're going and that this is you know the end of the
0: film. You mentioned that uh, you do, you told um, Natalie about the Judd Apatow approach where you allow them a free take to do whatever they want. Was there anything ad libbed that you really wanted in but it just didn't suit the story?
1: I think that um, were places that I advocated for um, lines because I thought they were uh, important. For instance, there's a part where Arturo, um, uh, the character Marcos says to Nick, I don't get you. If your only problem is that you're a white dude living in the middle of America and and you don't want to fall in love, oh God, cry me a river. Like this was the the like I wanted to show that that this wasn't necessarily a story about ethnicity or, or race, and that what was so good about the casting is that it could have been anybody. Um, you know, we didn't you didn't have to necessarily have to have Marcos B. Latinx or mm-hmm. um, uh, Harvard black or philippa sue or you know being lgbtq you know they're, they're so i wanted to make sure that there was like we acknowledged that this was kind of a colorblind movie by making fun of the white guy <laughs> so i wanted to put that in and they're like okay yeah let's do that
0: i have one last question that i'd like to ask everyone i interview and that's what is your favorite guilty pleasure film to watch
1: favorite guilty pleasure film oh um my favorite guilty pleasure film that i made that i worked on is um raptor island 2 raptor planet (laughs) it was a it was a film when sci-fi was sci-fi tv was making really low budget sci-fi films in bulgaria and it was like there were two principal actors who were uh, american everybody else um, spoke Bulgarian and we just had to overdump them and we didn't have any money for raptors. Yeah. So we, we had a sock puppet that would like look around corners, kind of like land of the lost yeah. um, puppets. And, um, it's really, really bad, but so much fun to jump on a project and say, "Okay, this is going to be really bad, but there's fun in that." So, so that was, you know, a, a fun guilty pleasure film to make, <laughs> um, to to watch. Um, geez, um, I, I don't want to go like with the obvious because you know, if Star Wars is on, I'm going to, you know, I'll I'll sit down and watch it. I'll have to go with my favorite year of films. It was 1999, where mm-hmm. you had Fight Club and The Matrix, oh, wow. both came out in the same oh, yeah. year, and those two films really awakened in me the uh, a sense of what filmmaking can really be. Yeah, no,
0: definitely. Before I let you go, I do have to say I teach film a lot, and I had to teach a class where we went through ADR. And so um, what I did was I took a, a whole bunch of clips and from films or shows and said, you know, redub these with your own voices, and everyone chose Veep clips. So, like, I had given <laughs> them a slew, and there was about three Veep clips in there, and they all chose Veep clips because of the cursing and the funny lines. So <laughs> there's uh, a bunch of students who've dubbed <laughs> their own oh, voices. Oh, that's in. fantastic. That's so. great.
1: Well, I, I taught a class, um, I guess taught a class at... Um, Uh, Columbia teaches a, um, has a class in narrative medicine where they um, take um, people on an MD track and show them film as a way to show, to teach empathy and to see other aspects of of life that they wouldn't have like they because their their guilty pleasure movie would be matrix of star wars it wouldn't be moonlight so this class goes in and talks about or the florida project which came out would seem to really resonate with um you know working class struggles uh and i went in and um, i guess taught and and then spoke about specific choices I made in uh, several shows. And it shows a couple of scenes from Veep from the, the episode that I cut that um, uh, I was nominated for where mm-hmm. uh, the episode mother, where her, um, where her mother dies. It talked about the choices I made in editing those a- a- as, as a way for us to feel consciously aware of where I wanted the audience's empathy to lie. Mm-hmm. that that's just uh, you know i guess yeah veep is fantastic for for <laughs> show is you know it's such an amazing cast and and yeah. the writers are so talented that was one of those shows where it was the best job because i was laughing guffawing several yeah. times a day you know just in cutting dailies
0: wasn't the creator, didn't he create something similar in the UK first and then come over for Veep? Was that the one? That That's right. Armando, yeah. um, uh, I didn't work with
1: Armando. Uh, I worked with Dave Mandel when his first time, when they brought it to Los Angeles um, in season five. Yes, yeah, so Armando has done, and he, he's, I, I'm sorry, I don't remember what he, what he did before that.
0: Yeah, well, I was just thinking, because I remember hearing that they were bringing that show over, and I was like, how are they going to do that? Because it's so different the the political systems and you have someone who's an outsider coming into the us and then you just knocked it out of the park he nailed it. He <laughs> it's nailed like it. it's like the office when they were like oh they're bringing it over i'm like how are they gonna do that and then i was like oh okay yeah i get it <laughs> smart
1: some smart people came came yeah. along and, and helped bring that uh, yeah and 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 the other thing is that um, comedy is universal and and bungling government it, it never grows tired yeah uh, that's always going to be funny
0: yeah well thank you so much for letting me interview it was a pleasure talking yeah. with. And you. and next time you're in uh, Toronto we'll have to grab a drink I'd love that that'd be great so that was my interview with Sean I'd like to thank Sean for allowing me to interview him I'd like to thank Evan Winch for editing this episode I'm your host Gordon Burkell thanks for listening